I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Dear Diary, these people are sick. It's high noon for Monday, November 8th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 292nd day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth, That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You voted to put all the adults back in the room. You said once we get the adults back in the room, everything is going to turn around and it's going to head in the right direction. Except there is only one direction that global communism heads in, and it is the wrong one. And the more you implement it, the more people will realize it. How did it happen? Adults in the room. How did it happen? How did it happen that you guys got everything you wanted and it made everything much worse? Could it have something to do with your general disregard for anything and everything that does not serve to enhance Your obsessively curated self-image? Sure, that could be part of it. Could it be the narcissism and incompetence? Yes. Or could it be that you are so accustomed to lying about a certain set of subjects that it has rendered you unable to judge good from bad and right from wrong? Now that's The real key, isn't it, commies? Because when what you consider objective has morphed into anything you want it to be, you end up completely unmoored. And when you reach that point, your side becomes right without any evidence at all. And the other side becomes wrong. No matter what. Sooner or later. You find yourself voting for someone to fix racism, even though they were mentored themselves in politics by a Klansman. That's strange, isn't it? And you say things like Hunter Biden's laptop was a Russian disinformation campaign, even though the laptop is real and you would have known that when you first heard about it, if you'd simply looked into it instead Here we are over a year later, 
and people are still repeating the lie, the proven lie, something that is widely accepted as an obvious proven lie. That the 50 former intelligence officials just simply made up the story about Russian disinformation. And it turns out Hunter Biden's laptop is very, very real. And it shows exactly what all of us said it showed. But you weren't right last October when you agreed that it was Russian disinformation on no evidence. You simply took their word for it. Because it was a convenient excuse that could get you out of facing the reality that existed. And you did it on the basis of bad authority. And the truth is, all the other beliefs you're holding on to about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and what the Biden family is are all the same. They're all wrong. You took them all on authority. Joe Biden and his family are the people we've said they are. and. That became even clearer this past week. Now the public at large is aware of the existence of Ashley Biden's diary. Her diary was released last October. I think it was October by National File. It was certainly before the election. I read parts of it back then. They're shocking. They described nine-year-old Ashley, or I should say, Ashley Biden describes herself at age nine, taking probably not appropriate showers with her father, the fake president of the United States, Joe Biden. Ashley Biden also ponders whether she was sexually molested, and she comes to the conclusion that, yes, she likely was with her cousin Caroline. In fact, here's the passage in her own words. Hypersexualized at a young age. What does this do to? Was I molested? I think so. I can't remember specifics, but I do remember trauma. I remember not liking the Woolzak's house. I remember somewhat being sexualized with Caroline. I remember having sex with friends at a young age. Showers with my dad. Probably not appropriate, in parentheses. Being turned on when I wasn't supposed to be. I remember the Q-tips. I hated getting my ears cleaned. Beating my vagina due to overhearing parents having sex. That is Ashley Biden writing in her diary about her father and her family life growing up. No one made that up. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's been out for well over a year, but ignored by almost everyone. I've talked about it on this podcast plenty of times when I interviewed Garrett Ziegler. We discussed the legitimacy of the diary. This is the sort of thing that got lost in the shuffle last year. It was so shocking that people chose to ignore it rather than believe it. And of course, the mainstream media never picked it up. They're trying to ignore it now as well. But of course, our government agencies being as corrupt and incompetent as they are, we can see the Streisand effect happening in real time. The Streisand effect describes a phenomenon where someone doing too much to make sure no one ever finds out about something actually alerts a much larger group of people to the thing they're trying to hide. And that originated with Barbara Streisand trying to make sure that no one knew this palatial estate 
on the coast was her house like 20 years ago. Of course, it backfired and way more people knew that that was Barbara Streisand's house than would have ever known about it before. And that's exactly what's happening with how they're handling the Ashley Biden diary situation. Now, I'm not sure how big an effect this story would have. Most of the people who are open to being disgusted by Joe Biden have gotten most of the way to that point. This might be a final nail in Joe Biden's coffin for those sorts of people. But the people who have denied everything else will likely deny this as well. And to do so, they will suggest that Ashley Biden's memory is incorrect in some way or that she's probably describing something that wasn't as serious as we are making it out to be. As if that's some kind of common occurrence where nine-year-olds describe inappropriate showers with their parents. And it's not messed up in any way. And when your loyalty is to the party and not to the truth, this is the sort of thing that can happen. What immorality will these people not excuse to maintain their highly curated self-image as the sort of people who are always right and would never support this sort of evil, even though they are. And the crazy thing is the facts of the diary and their reaction to the diary and what it says about Joe Biden is only a fraction of this story. Because to defend Joe Biden here at this point, as events develop, they now find themselves having to defend the use of federal law enforcement to persecute opposition journalists. How many aspects of fascism and Nazism and communism are they going to say, well, no, that's actually good when it's on our side? How many is it going to be before these people wake up to what they're doing? All of these people, you got to think that the people in the general American public who are still supporting this stuff out of some chosen ignorance, they actually believe that ultimately they are the good people. And maybe this is just a bump in the road. They can ignore it a little bit. And if it doesn't become a huge issue, well, maybe everyone will forget. Maybe everyone will forget where these people stood on it. And then they never actually have to contend with the reality of this situation. Just like the Hunter Biden thing. Ah, just give it a year. Everybody will forget that we pretended this was Russian disinformation and not clear, obvious proof of some deep-seated perversion within the Biden family and some ongoing corruption that spans decades as proof exists that this family has sold Joe Biden's political office to our foreign adversaries for a whole lot of money for a very long time. Inescapable proof of obvious malfeasance and they do not care. But they still believe that they are the sorts of people who care about issues like this. They are against corruption, ostensibly, right? They spent years investigating Trump's 
hotel deals. They tried to figure out how somehow he was breaking the emoluments clause. And somehow, if he talked to people in China or Russia about business as a private citizen before he was ever in politics, that somehow equates to Donald Trump being willing to sell his political office, but they will ignore it for Joe Biden. Isn't that amazing? And they're the moral ones. And hey, commies, if you were in this position, which many of us were in to some extent months ago or years ago or whenever, try for a second to just reach down and find your moral center right? The place where your consistent principles are, the place where you actually know right from wrong. You thought political corruption was a problem when Donald Trump was in office. It turns out that all the stories you heard about Donald Trump's political corruption were actually made up by his opponents. And you can prove that to yourself simply by examining all the claims. But you said you cared about the issues. Was that a lie, too? Do you just simply not care? Because if you do care, here it is. Now's the time to care. Show us you care. Be honest about what's happening. And if you've reached the point where you're ready to do that, you just let go of the rest. Okay? You just let it go. It does not serve you. You have gained nothing. By holding on to that tribal affiliation and prioritizing it over the truth. Now, if you were self-aware, you would realize it only as a source of embarrassment and shame. People will not forget where you stood at this time. All right. It's time to exit the party of false decorum. These people are not looking out for your best interests. You try your best to stay in their good graces because you think there is a penalty for defying them. And the truth is you're probably right. You will pay a penalty for defying them. And that's what you're resistant to do. But it's your moral character on the line. You do not have to go down with the ship. You simply don't just leave it behind. And Come back to America. Just migrate back right on down to the range. Leave all those stupid and evil communist ideas back there in the party of false decorum. All those people that you used to believe were on your side, they're not. They're on their side. And they stay on that side because it serves them. Whether it's money or power or social credit. That is what they are hanging on to. They are not hanging on to the truth and they are not acting in a principled manner. So leave it behind. Make amends with all the people you've shamed and bullied and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. Those people, assuming you didn't do anything too terrible, they will forgive you. And there is a place for you in American society. You don't have to be scared of the no-no people. We're not that scary. In fact, we're not scary at all. We're only scary in the scattered brains of Rachel Maddow and Chris Cuomo and Brian Stelter and the bloggers at the New York Times. 
We're not scary in reality. We're just a bunch of people who don't like to be lied to anymore, especially by people who are trying to destroy us while lying to us. So what you got to do is just migrate back to America. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Monday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. It's okay over here, commies. The water is warm. Dip a toe in. Jump right on in. Everything's going to be just fine. Now, while most of the mainstream media continues to deny that all of these issues exist with the Bidens, the New York Post has reliably not taken that stance. And the editors published an article yesterday concerning this very situation. The headline is, this sure looks like Biden's DOJ persecuting an opposition journalist. And yep, they're right. You don't have to be a fan of James O'Keefe's style of journalism to be worried about how the government is reacting to it. The FBI and Manhattan federal prosecutors are investigating the case of Ashley Biden's diary. The president's daughter says it was stolen in a burglary last year. An obscure right wing website wound up publishing what it said are pages from it about 10 days before the election. O'Keefe says someone shopped the diary to his Project Veritas, claiming Biden had left it somewhere. His outfit didn't use it in part because they couldn't verify it. And he says in, he informed law enforcement of the whole thing. But he has some ties to the outfit that did publish, which seems to be why the feds raided the homes of several current or former Veritas employees before dawn in O'Keefe's own case. He's also outraged that the feds urged him not to go public with the subpoenas. But someone dropped a dime to the New York Times, which started calling for comment an hour after the first raids Thursday morning. Okay, you got that? Uh, James O'Keefe came out and dropped a video on Friday about this. They asked James O'Keefe not to make it public knowledge that these subpoenas existed. They wanted to get what they needed from James O'Keefe and have no one know about it. But at the same time, they tipped off the New York Times as to what they were doing. Does that suggest a DOJ working in good faith? and executing their job according to their oath. No, it does not. Journalists can't be prosecuted for publishing stolen material unless they were part of the theft, and the theft in question hardly seems to rise to a federal crime. It especially is not a crime if Ashley Biden actually left that diary in the hotel room as is claimed. I don't know the answer to that one way or another, but Hunter Biden leaves his laptops everywhere, so it really wouldn't surprise me. Right now, the claims that the diary was stolen are what the mainstream media would usually call baseless. And why are they calling it baseless? Why is it important to them that the diary be stolen rather than just lost or misplaced? Well, then it makes it seem like the people putting it out there are bad guys. They are violating Ashley Biden's privacy by publishing her diary. As if the information inside it isn't valuable for the American public to know when the person implicated in her claims in this diary is pretending to be the president of the United States of America right now. Seems kind of important. Back to the article. 
And shield laws normally mean law enforcement can't make reporters reveal a thing about their sources, even if they didn't publish anything. Journalists regularly publish material that has been leaked or even taken. Consider the Times running President Donald Trump's tax returns. Unless the feds know something about Veritas sanctioning the burglary, the diary does not warrant pre-dawn raids. It has all the marks of a political vendetta. That's not at all a good look for a Biden Justice Department already in ill repute for intimidating parents who just ask questions at school board meetings. Now, that editorial is not particularly scathing, and it didn't actually mention any of the claims made in the diary. It also did not show pages from the diary. Truthfully, it should have done both. This is actually, in some measure, protecting Joe Biden, even while it suggests that Biden's illegitimate Department of Justice is involved in a political witch hunt. But in terms of the Streisand effect, what the Department of Justice has done in its incompetence is prove to the world that this Ashley Biden diary is, in fact, real and shows exactly what it's purported to show. The passage I just read from the diary being published in the national file last year is exactly what Ashley Biden wrote in her diary. The FBI, the DOJ, and the Southern District of New York, whose presence here is suspect at best, considering they've been engaged in a similar political witch hunt against the administration's political opponents in Donald Trump for a very long time. They've essentially admitted that this diary is real. If the media was responsible at all, if the media was even a shred of what they pretend they are, this would be a national scandal, the likes of which we probably haven't seen since the Clinton years. Not that there weren't plenty of other scandals the media could have focused on from Obama and from George W. Bush. There were plenty. But they went after Donald Trump for a series of things he absolutely did not do and for which there is no evidence. They literally made up their own evidence, as we'll talk about in a bit, with the Steele dossier, the Trump-Russia hoax carried out by the Clinton campaign. Democratic operatives made up their own evidence to try to frame Trump, and we spent years and years investigating it. The media was focused on it nonstop. And then we have Hunter Biden's laptop and Ashley Biden's diary both of which show who Joe Biden really is, and it is completely ignored. Where is the objectivity? Where are the journalistic ethics? They're absolutely nowhere to be found. And what, at this point, are they even protecting? The Biden administration, the fake administration, is collapsing. A new USA Today poll was released yesterday. I'm going to read from their article so you can hear how the state propaganda media tries to frame this stuff. The headline is gloomy landscape for Democrats in midterms as Biden's approval drops to 38 percent in USA Today Suffolk poll. This is Susan Page and Rick Ruan at USA Today yesterday. A year before the 2022 midterm elections, Republicans hold a clear lead on the congressional ballot as President Joe Biden's approval rating sinks to a new low of 38 percent. 
A USA Today Suffolk University poll taken Wednesday through Friday found that Biden's support cratered among the independent voters who delivered his margin of victory over President Donald Trump one year ago. No, they didn't. Biden and his party are poised for a rebound, advocates argue, after the House passed a $1.2 trillion hard infrastructure bill late Friday, sending the signature measure to Biden's desk for his signature. An encouraging economic report released Friday morning showed a stronger than expected job growth. Also not true. This stuff is nonsense. I mean, $1.2 trillion hard infrastructure bill. It's like 11% of that goes to infrastructure. The rest is just Green New Deal, build back better nonsense. That said, the survey illuminates the size of the hole Democrats need to dig out of as they look toward the elections in one year on November 8th, 2022, that will determine control of Congress and shape the second two years of Biden's term. Now, no, it's not going to because Biden's not going to be president then. So it has the uh, the graphics. Do you approve or disapprove of the job Joe Biden has done as president? 37.8% approve, 59% disapprove, and undecided is 3.2%. There's a 3.1% margin of error. Do you approve or disapprove of the job Kamala Harris has done as vice president? This is even lower. 27.8% approve, 51.2% disapprove, and 21% are undecided. At the moment, views of the president have soured. Among the findings, nearly half of those surveyed, 46%, say Biden has done a worse job as president than they expected, including 16% of those who voted for him. Independence, by a 7 to 1 margin, 44% to 6%, say he's done worse, not better, than they expected. Nearly two thirds of Americans, 64 percent, say they don't want Biden to run for a second term in 2024. That includes 28 percent of Democrats. Opposition to Trump running for another term in 2024 stands at 58 percent, including 24 percent of Republicans. And of course, their numbers are their numbers. And one of the funniest commie tactics when you are simultaneously using numbers from a source and also disputing the accuracy of the numbers. They're like, oh, well, I've caught you now. You're saying this poll isn't accurate, but yet you're referring to it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm saying that because it's not accurate. It is consistently inaccurate in the wrong direction. So my point isn't actually weakened by that. It's strengthened by that. The polls are intentionally trying to make the Democrat Party look better. And you can understand that bias in nearly every poll you read. It's really not particularly complicated. And the same goes, by the way, for the coronavirus statistics. You know, none of us believe that any of the stats from coronavirus at all anywhere are accurate. The PCR tests are inaccurate. All of the statistics that we have about the coronavirus exist in the frame of those inaccurate PCR tests. They are going to overcount absolutely everything. We also know that their standards of judgment within those statistics are flawed. Every death within 28 days and sometimes 60 days of a positive coronavirus test is counted as a COVID death, even if it's a car accident or a heart attack or a murder. 
That's not a statistic that is random. Sometimes it helps one side and sometimes it helps the other. It is intentionally biased in one direction. We know what that direction is, so we can refer to the statistics given to us by these people, incorporate and account for some degree of bias to their benefit, and then still make our point with the numbers they give us because that's how bad things are for them. Their own numbers still make our case. That's how weak their case is. All right. I am not suggesting at any point that these numbers are actually accurate. They are actually far worse for the Democrat Communist Party than what is shown here. Just as the covid numbers that they give us fail to make the case they are making, we can use their bad numbers and prove their side wrong on their own bad numbers while in truth knowing It's actually a little worse than that. Back to the article. Vice President Kamala Harris's approval rating is 28%, even worse than Biden's. The poll shows that 51% disapprove of the jobs he's doing. One in five are undecided. Americans overwhelmingly support the infrastructure bill Biden is about to sign, but they are split on the more expensive and further reaching Build Back Better Act debated in Congress. Only one in four say the bill's provisions would help them and their families. And I would love to see exactly how they asked the question about the support for that bill, because there is no way in the world that a large percentage of Americans wanted them to pass that. And we will see in the coming days and weeks that the poll numbers continue to decline. Okay, this is being sold to us as a big win for the administration. If that was the case, we would suspect that people would begin to support them more seeing this big win. But that's not what we're going to see. If the election were today, those surveyed say they would vote for their Republican congressional candidate over the Democratic one by 46% to 38%, an advantage that would bode well for GOP hopes of gaining a majority in the House and the Senate. In a president's first midterm election, his party usually loses ground, and this time the GOP needs to flip just five seats in the House and one in the Senate to claim control. That outcome would make it even harder for Biden to pass legislation, already a difficult task in a Democratic-controlled Congress, and open the door to aggressive Republican oversight of his administration. Now, why would it be hard for the most popular president of all time, the one who got the most votes ever, 15 million more votes than Hillary Clinton. Why would it be hard for him to pass legislation with a Democratic majority in the House and an effective Democrat majority in the Senate? Why would it be so hard? And while we're thinking about that, how come Joe Biden's vast sweeping electoral win in 2020 did not provide larger advantages in the House and the Senate where the Democrats lost ground. How is it that something like that could happen when 81 million real legal American voters came out and voted for Joe Biden? How's that possible? Well, the simplest answer is it isn't. And the reason it isn't is because 81 million real American voters did not cast legal votes for Joe Biden. That simply did not happen. In fact, it's nowhere close to that. And we're going to find out everything sooner or later. 
And when that happens, when all of the illegitimate people serving in our government on every level are exposed and removed, what's going to happen to the laws they wrote? All of these laws being put in place are predicated on fraud. And as we know, fraud vitiates everything. Do you think it will? Yeah, it will. Back to the article, and I'm going to skip down a little bit. Biden loses ground with voters who backed him in 2020. Biden has lost ground with voters since he won last year's election, but Trump hasn't gained it. Okay. Over the past year, two-thirds of those surveyed say their opinion of Trump hasn't changed. 14% say their view of him has gotten better. 19% say it has gotten worse. I wonder who those 19% are. Are they dyed-in-the-wool communists? Of course they are. But Trump commands more loyalty among his core supporters than Biden does. Among those who voted for Biden last year, almost four in 10, 39%, say they hope he doesn't run for another term. 50% hope he will run. And let's be honest, those people are simply trying to support their bad decision by saying that they still agree with their bad decision. Among those who voted for Trump last year, one in four 26% hope he won't run again. 65% hope he will. If the presidential election were today between Biden and Trump, 44% say they would vote for Trump, 40% for Biden, 11% for an unnamed third party candidate. In the election last year, Biden beat Trump 54% to 47%. But of course, we're going to find out that's not right at all. And if these numbers weren't bad enough, and they certainly are, I imagine that we will probably see even worse numbers as this week progresses and the infrastructure bill debacle starts being factored into these numbers. We'll be able to tell pretty easily if, as the USA Today says, Americans actually support this. If the large percentages of Americans they claim support this actually supported it, it wouldn't have been so hard for them to pass. The reason it's hard for them to pass is because people don't want it. If they hadn't gotten 13 uh, rhino Republicans to sign on to it, the bill would have already failed. It survived because there are that many sellouts in the Republican Party. And just briefly, considering the Streisand effect, we actually have another example of that sort of thing going on this weekend. Gavin Newsom has been completely out of the public spotlight since October 27th. He was supposed to go overseas to COP26, where the last communist president, Barack Hussein Obama, currently is pretending that global warming is going to kill us all in 12 years unless we give payoffs to everybody they name and we sacrifice American sovereignty to the global communist order. That is what he is over there selling. There is no other reason for the former president to be there. But I guess they figured that old shitty embarrassed the country enough with his performance. Now they need to kind of prop him up with Barack Hussein Obama. So Newsom's been out of the public spotlight. Jen Psaki has also been conspicuously absent. And Gavin Newsom's wife tried to make it seem like everyone wondering where Gavin Newsom is, is a crazy conspiracy theorist. And so she tweeted out, 
It's funny how certain folks can't handle truth. When someone cancels something, maybe they're just in the office working, maybe in their free time, they're at home with their family, at their kids' sports matches, or dining out with their wife. Please stop hating and get a life. And she deleted her tweet. Why would she delete that tweet? Isn't she giving the right answers about what Gavin Newsom is doing? What was the problem in there? Talking about how much free time Gavin must have? Oh, October 27th. That was nearly two weeks ago. It's just been all free time for the governor since then. And what was his last appearance? Oh, it was when he was pretending to get a booster shot or maybe really getting one. But where's Gavin? Now we all must know because his wife made excuses with a bunch of maybes. All right. That's your wife, man. If she's your alibi, you're screwed. Hey, Mrs. Newsom, where is your communist husband? Well, <laughs> maybe he's uh, maybe he's on a lunch date. Maybe he was attending Astro World. Maybe he's out fighting the forest fires that his policies caused. Or maybe he's figuring out where that half billion dollars he gave to China for masks actually went. Maybe he's doing those things, except the thing is you're his wife. And unless you don't know where he is, why are you saying maybe like, even if you're going to lie about where Gavin Newsom is, at least give us a direct lie. Say he's attending to a family situation and we just ask for your privacy while Gavin is indisposed. Just say that. Instead, she just starts making up answers. Now, changing subjects without a segue, let's talk about the ongoing fallout in the John Durham investigation following the indictment of Igor Danchenko. This is from Technofog, who is absolutely one of the best on this subject. Other people to pay attention to are Lee Smith and Brian Cates also does excellent work on this as well. I disagree with a lot of Brian Cates's judgment on various subjects, but he is an excellent reporter about the Trump Russia stuff. What did the FBI have on Danchenko? Deciphering a curious FBI question. I discussed the Igor Danchenko indictment here, and he links to the last article, laying out some of the more eye-raising parts of the facts and charges against Christopher Steele's primary subsource. Taking a closer look at the Danchenko indictment, there is a curious question presented by the FBI to Danchenko in June 2017, a question that indicates the FBI might have known more about the true sources to the Steele dossier sooner than they have let on. On June 15th, 2017, the FBI interviewed Danchenko regarding the dossier labeled company reports in the indictment. Here's the line of questioning from the indictment. And this is a conversation between FBI agent one and Danchenko. And I'm going to quote directly. Um, because obviously I don't think you're the only Danchenko says, mm-hmm. the FBI agent says person that has been contributing. You may have said one, and this is the other thing we are trying to figure out. Do you know a PR executive one? That's Charles Dolan, a Clinton associate. Danchenko, do I know Charles Dolan? Yeah. FBI agent one, how long have you known him? Laughing. Danchenko, I've known Dolan for 
I don't know, a couple years, maybe. FBI agent one, couple years, Danchenko. But, 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 but I've known of him for like 12 years. And they go on, Danchenko. Yeah, yeah, he likes Russia. I don't think he is, uh, would be anyway, be involved. But, but, uh, he's, uh, what I would think would be easily played, maybe. Uh, he's a bit naive in his, um, liking of Russia. The FBI agent says, okay, so you've had, was there any, but you've never talked to Dolan about anything that shows up in the dossier, right? Danchenko, no. FBI agent one, you don't think so? No, we talked about, you know, related issues perhaps, but no, 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 nothing specific. These FBI questions asking Danchenko specific questions about Dolan and his interactions with Dolan are significant for a number of reasons. It indicates the FBI had specific information linking Dolan to Danchenko. It is quite possible the FBI knew on June 15th, 2017, that Dolan was a source for Danchenko. The suspicion that Dolan was a source is explained by the FBI agent stating that he thinks there are other dossier sources immediately followed by a question about Dolan. If that is the case, then the FBI would have known that Danchenko lied about his communications with Dolan. This information may have come from surveillance on Danchenko's source, Olga Galkina, as observed by Chuck Ross, quote, the IG report indicates that the FBI had Section 702 coverage on Galkina, which would have allowed the agency to surveil her communications. If the FBI had Section 702 coverage on Galkina, it would have swept up the communications of Dolan and Danchenko, providing them with knowledge that a Hillary Clinton supporter was a source for the dossiers. Again, the dates are important. The Danchenko interview where he was questioned about Dolan took place on June 15th, 2017, before the fourth FISA warrant on Carter Page, which was submitted to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court on June 29th, 2017. Let us assume for a moment the FBI questioned Danchenko about Dolan based on information from the Galkina surveillance, the 702. What types of information might they have had? Looking at the Danchenko indictment, they might have possessed... Dolan and Danchenko's emails, Dolan emails referencing Danchenko, communications between Dolan and Olga Galkina, Russian subsource one, including social media messages, emails, and likely messaging apps, communications from Olga Galkina to her associates. Reporting suggests the FBI had this information by June 2017, by the time of their Danchenko interview. If that is the case, the FBI would likely have had their hands on this email from Galkina to Dolan, stating that she was feeding him information on the former USSR UIC countries and indicating her suspicion that Danchenko had informed Dolan of this. And Technofog here is quoting from the indictment. On or about November 7th, 2016, the day before the 2016 U.S. presidential election, Russian subsource one emailed PR executive one in English and stated in part, I am preparing you some information on former USSR slash UIC countries. Igor Danchenko possibly told you about that. And then it goes on. It's just dot, 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 dot. Tomorrow, your country is having a great day. So as a big Hillary fan, I wish her and all her supporters to have a victory day. Hope that somebody, someday her book will have one more autograph on it. Thank you for your help and support. Best regards. And this is Galkina represented in the indictment, signing this email as the first name of the Russian subsource one. That's Olga. 
It also means that the FBI likely possessed this information that Danchenko's source was a huge Hillary Clinton fan and hoping for a job in the Clinton State Department. And they quote the indictment again. In or about August 2016, Russian Subsource One sent a message to a Russia-based associate describing PR Executive One as an advisor to Hillary Clinton. Russian Subsource One further commented regarding what might happen if Clinton were to win the election, stating in Russian, quote, when PR Executive One, that's Dolan, and others take me off to the State Department to handle issues of the former USSR, then we'll see who is looking good and who is not. Back to the FISA court. This court operates in secret with no chance for the accused to present their defense or the public to review warrant applications. With this in mind, the court demands honesty from the government. Under the FISA court's local rule 13, the FBI and DOJ had a duty to inform the court of the new information as they were material facts relevant to the Carter Page applications. One, that Danchenko was a liar. Two, that Danchenko's real source was a Hillary Clinton ally with deep ties to the Clintons. And three, that Danchenko's purported Russian source was expecting benefits, employment, based on her support of Clinton. And he references the FISA court rule here. Correction of material facts. If the government discovers that a submission to the court contained a misstatement or omission of material fact, the government in writing must immediately inform the judge to whom the submission was made of one the misstatement or omission Two, any necessary correction three, the facts and circumstances relevant to the misstatement or omission Four, any modifications the government has made or proposes to make and how it will implement any authority or approval granted by the court and five, how the government proposes to dispose of or treat any information obtained as a result of the misstatement or omission. And basically just to summarize this, they are talking about how the Federal Intelligence Surveillance Court has to rely on the honesty of the law enforcement Justice Department officials that are bringing the information to them. They trust that this information has been verified and is being represented accurately because the warrant that they are about to issue will allow the law enforcement agencies to spy on the people listed in the warrant. Without those people's knowledge, of course, which means those people have no opportunity to defend themselves. And so naturally, if the law enforcement agencies and the Justice Department are misrepresenting the facts in the FISA warrant, then the court can be misled into allowing the government to spy on people that should not legally be spied on. And that's exactly what's happening here. Back to Technofog. And the FBI slash DOJ saw to it that this information stayed hidden from the FISA court and from the public until just a few days ago. However, the DOJ did send a July 2018 letter to the FISA court reassuring them that the FBI found Danchenko, quote, to be truthful and cooperative. The DOJ communicated this FBI assessment to the FISA court and thus adopted it for themselves, despite Danchenko's obvious lies in his January 2017 interview about his contacts with Russian intelligence and the FBI's recognition in February 2017 that Danchenko wasn't being truthful. And of course, they have records of that as well. This leads to an obvious question. Why cover for Danchenko? Because in covering for Danchenko, the FBI and DOJ were covering for themselves, hiding their own misconduct and lies and violations of constitutional rights, and at the same time, keeping the Trump-Russia investigation alive. 
And for people who are relatively unfamiliar with all of this, I'll try to put it into some sort of context. Okay. What's happening right now is that John Durham's investigation is unraveling all of the corruption and criminality involved in cooking up the Trump Russia hoax to begin with. Okay. There was never any sign of any underlying collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. They went after it, trying to find the weakest possible places where they could convince the American public that there was a connection somewhere to try to paint Trump as somehow compromised and anti-American. And then they use all of these stories to mislead the FISA courts to be able to tap the phones of people in and around the Trump organization and the Trump campaign so that they could eventually spy on Trump and find out exactly what the Trump campaign and the Trump organization were doing. All of this was made known to Barack Obama and Joe Biden, the DOJ, the CIA, the FBI were all involved in all of this after Trump won, which he was not supposed to do. Right. All of this was an effort to make sure that Donald Trump could not become president. But then he did. What happened? How did that happen? It's very likely that either Trump voters overwhelmed the Democrats ability to commit fraud in that election, or somehow the fraud was stopped and the Democrats did not get the results they wanted. But once he won, then the effort switched to whatever they could do to undermine Donald Trump's presidency. Now, undermining a duly elected president based on out and out lies made up to gain political advantage might seem to some like it's eh, tantamount to treason. And I would be one of the people who agrees with that. They put the United States in an intentional national security crisis by trying to cut the legs out from under the Donald Trump presidency. There is nothing that could be clearer than this was a concerted effort by Democrats and media and their allies to make sure they would never have to be held accountable for the things they have done. These are crimes against the country. This isn't just a political scandal. It's not just a made up story that some people believed and some people didn't. This dominated three years of American political life and the people, for instance, like Ted Lieu and Adam Schiff, who were on the House Intelligence Committee, propped all of this up by pretending to have information they did not have. And former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, addressed this yesterday on Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo. John Brennan's notes, and they were handwritten notes, and we're going to show them on the screen right now. Tell me what they said. Yeah, so start at the beginning. You know, when we talked about this, I talked on this show with you about many things as a, as a member of Congress. But when I became the director of national intelligence, I said, listen, I want to see all of the intelligence about this supposed Russian collusion. And what I found was, and as you're finding out, is there was, of course, no Russian collusion between the Trump campaign uh, and Russia. 
But what I did see in intelligence documents, some of which I've now declassified, um, that there was collusion uh, involving the Clinton campaign and Russians to create a dossier. And so what John Brennan's notes reveal is, you know, we talk about these indictments. Igor Danchenko is now the third person to be criminally indicted in connection with the Steele dossier uh, for peddling something that, that was uh, known to be false to the FBI. But what's important here is John Brennan's own notes reflect and the, and the, the, the other document uh, that I declassified show that our intelligence community and our FBI knew this ahead of time that Hillary Clinton, we had specific intelligence, that Hillary Clinton was creating a plan to vilify Donald Trump, to falsely accuse him of ties to Russia. And the intelligence community and the FBI knew this. And President Obama, Vice President Biden were briefed by John Brennan and James Clapper and Jim Comey in early August of 2016. And John Solomon's earlier point was right. It all should have stopped at that point. Everything related to the Steele dossier was known to be untrue, but yet it was the predicate for moving forward with an unjust, unfair, and ultimately now everyone accepts a criminal, uh, criminally negligent investigation against uh, the Trump campaign. It was a crime to investigate yep. Donald Trump because there was no probable cause as FBI director uh, Christopher Ray has admitted under oath there was no probable cause for right. those FISA applications because they used the Steele dossier yeah. and it was fo- and it was phony. I'm continually amazed that people think those of us who've been talking about this for quite a while now are somehow conspiracy theorists or making it up or taking an extreme unwarranted view of the situation. Ratcliffe just laid it out to you. The intelligence supports this. The documentation is there. This stuff isn't even disputed. Okay. Former CIA director, John Brennan, former FBI director, James Comey, and then Clapper along with them. They briefed Obama and Biden. And I think Susan Rice and some others were in the room as well. They briefed them about the fact that the Hillary Clinton campaign had created the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. If Barack Hussein Obama was the man that people believe him to be, I should say believed him to be, but also still many believe him to be, why did he handle that briefing that way? What would be the responsible thing for a sitting president of the United States to do when they hear that one presidential campaign is using corrupt elements of the Department of Justice, our intelligence agencies, and our law enforcement agencies to set up the political opponent in the campaign and accuse him of being a traitor to his country, of being a sellout, of working with one of our adversarial nations to get himself elected when it is absolutely the exact opposite. Barack Obama and Joe Biden know that and have known it for five years and have denied it at every possible opportunity since then. That's the sort of people that we are working against right now. And at that point, you have to ask yourself, would people who went along with this for years and still deny it to this day, be capable of and willing to steal an American election to make sure they would not be held accountable. The answer, my friends, 
is yes. That's exactly who these people are. It's exactly the sort of thing that they do often. This is a pattern of behavior. These people are corrupt all the way up and down. Barack Obama is at the top of this issue and he is a criminal. He has committed crimes against America and worked to undermine a duly elected president. He also prohibited the peaceful transfer of power to the Donald Trump administration and instead organized an effort to take out Donald Trump's national security advisor, Michael Flynn, and further undermine the Trump administration. That's Barack Obama, shadow president during Trump's term, still influencing these same agencies and now directing the fake Joe Biden administration from the shadows, although maybe not anymore. Right now, he's over pretending to be president in Europe. So to underline John Brennan's notes, he has a he says there was an exchange and it shows us that Hillary Clinton has approved a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russia and tying him to a scandal there. From then, then you have the CIA telling the FBI, this is the second most important document that you declassified. And this is what's called a CIOL. This is a counterintelligence operational lead. It's the CIA telling the FBI, we have this information. Hillary has cooked up this plan against Donald Trump. You need to investigate it. Tell me more. Yeah, so why it's un- un- unfortunately what happened there is the CIA, because it can't use uh, our intelligence authorities uh, under the law can't be used for domestic purposes. And, it, and then because this involved Hillary Clinton's campaign and people associated with it, a referral had to be made to the FBI. Unfortunately, as you see from that document, the referral went to disgraced FBI agent Peter Strzok, who had uh, just weeks before receiving that referral, uh, had sent text messages promising to F Trump, to stop Trump, to make sure Trump would never become president. So as you as you uh, said earlier, uh, the person who was supposed to be investigating the fake steel dossier before John Durham ever got involved was Peter Strzok. And instead, what he did was bury that part of it as it related to Hillary Clinton and instead took a dossier that he knew to be false, used it to get a FISA application that he knew to be illegal and used it to perpetuate an investigation that went on for four years that misrepresented everything to the American people. And that's why everyone associated with the Steele dossier, with its creation, its peddling to the FBI, and its use with by law enforcement authorities um, against the Trump campaign illegally, is in criminal jeopardy right now. Don't take it from me. Take it from John Ratcliffe. Everybody involved with that situation is in criminal jeopardy right now. Now, he's talking about Peter Strzok. Peter Strzok is with his partner, Lisa Page, or former partner, or whatever, the people Donald Trump refers to as the two lovers. There is speculation, I'm not sure if it's confirmed, that Peter Strzok and Lisa Page are actually working with the Durham investigation. I don't know if that's true. Peter Strzok was on the Rachel Maddow show last week after the indictment against Danchenko came down trying to spin a completely false narrative 
about how none of what John Ratcliffe is saying here is true. And he just kept relying on what was in the Mueller report as if the Mueller report, the fake Mueller report that only came into being as a result of the attempt by these very people who are criminally compromised here and criminally implicated. The Mueller report was an attempt to get all of the information, find out everything everyone knew, and then compose some sort of through line narrative that would alleviate the responsibility from all of these people. Strzok spent his time referring to the Mueller report to paint himself as blameless. And of course, Rachel Maddow is not going to challenge him because he's saying the things that she has been saying for a very long time. Turns out Rachel Maddow is a liar. So do you think that that is what John Durham is looking at? Do you think we will see I know that. potential indictments? Well, I, I know that. I know that, Maria, because as you as you know, Many of the documents that John Durham is using are documents that I gave him. So I declassified the documents that we've talked about, but I gave John Durham over a thousand other uh, documents that have not yet been declassified that I know uh, uh, include intelligence that goes specifically to um, this criminal activity that would be the basis for further indictments. And, you know, again, uh, what happened with the Steele dossier um, a grand jury is saying was criminal in nature. And I expect that all of the folks um, that are involved uh, with creating it and peddling it falsely uh, would be in, 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 in jeopardy. And I know that that's what John Durham is looking at. And as I talked about, um, you know, this goes to the to the highest levels of, of our government and in, in, uh, in, in the government agencies involved. Again, don't take my word for it. That's the former director of national intelligence who has gone through all of these documents and knows what happens. It goes to the highest levels of our government. That is Barack Hussein Obama and fake president Joseph Robinette Biden. And we have pictures of meetings in the Oval Office with President Obama and John Brennan. When we assume John Brennan told President Obama that he had this information. Uh, we're going to show those pictures right now of the Oval Office where President Obama, Joe Biden were briefed by John Brennan saying Hillary Clinton has cooked up this plan to en ensnare her opponent, Donald Trump. And this was way before uh, Inauguration Day of Donald August Trump. Of 2016. This was in 2016. Right. August of the, 2016. Those pictures, so, I'm saying, yeah, August of 2016, so right. And these three, pictures, we don't know if they were August, September, or October. Yeah. Well, the, the briefings occurred in August of 2016, so several months before the election. And again, um, Peter Strzok and folks at the FBI knew that the Steele dossier and was 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 a Hillary Clinton creation. And as the Danchenko indictment reflects, Maria, not only did Hillary Clinton cr uh, commission the creation of the Steele dossier. People that worked for her served as the sources for that information. PR Executive One, who has been identified publicly as a, as a gentleman named Charles Dolan, worked for Bill and Hillary Clinton, served as uh, state chairman of their campaigns, was appointed by Bill Clinton during his administration. 
and worked for the Russian Federation. He was a source of the information, some of the most salacious allegations um, against Paul Manafort and about Donald Trump and the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. So all of that was make-believe. It was bogus. And folks within the law enforcement community particularly were aware of that and yet used it illegally um, and peddled it uh, for a great period of time um, uh, for political for a political purpose, which is just um, uh, not only inappropriate, but as you're finding out, uh, criminal as well. And I expect there, I said a long time ago to you, Maria, I expect there'd be many indictments. I haven't backed off of that. Um, and I continue to think that there are going to be many indictments based on the intelligence that I gave to John yeah. Durham and that I have seen. Now, just to discuss Rachel Maddow again for a second, every time one of these John Durham indictments comes down, Rachel Maddow goes on television with some elaborate, complicated, convoluted explanation of how the indictment really proves that all of this was real the whole time and that there's nothing to worry about. The indictments themselves by Durham in her framing are part of a vast conspiracy theory to set up all the people involved with the Trump Russia stuff. Trump actually did collude with Russia. And this is just somehow punishment for that. A political hatchet job. They're just trying to kneecap the Biden fake presidency. And as I always say, these cable news hosts have on criminals, people who have committed crimes against the country. They come on shows like Rachel Maddow to try to defend themselves in the court of public opinion. And Rachel Maddow acts as their defense attorney, trying to convince all her child brained viewers that the things this liar and criminal is saying, like Peter Strzok, for instance, are actually all totally, totally legitimate. They check out. They always have. There's nothing wrong. Nothing to see here. Good night, everybody. But listen to what Ratcliffe says. He expects many indictments, many. Hopefully they will get every single one of these people right up to and including Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama and Joe Biden, because all of them are criminals. And that is quite obvious. Interestingly, some people have a working theory right now that and they may be totally right that the Hillary Clinton campaign or Hillary herself had a hand in initiating these briefings so that Obama and Biden would be on record as having known this so that they would be implicated in her crime. And of course, being the corrupt traitors to America that they are, they kept their mouths shut, actually implicating themselves in her crime. Kind of incredible the things these people will do to make sure that their corruption is never fully accounted for. Yeah. And, and what happens to all of your colleagues on the left who attacked you throughout the years that you were trying to educate and inform the American people? Adam Schiff saying that there was collusion in plain sight. He saw what you saw as a congressman. He saw what Devin Nunes saw as a congressman on the Intel Committee. How did he come out and go on MSNBC and CNN and say there was collusion in plain sight? And what about Mark Warner attacking you repeatedly as you were informing the American people throughout 2018, 2019 and 2020? 
not, not only in that time frame as a member of Congress, but as the director of national intelligence, I briefed Mark Warner. I briefed Adam Schiff. I shared this information with them. And they knew that it took, they knew that it was true. They knew that I was being truthful, but they were concerned about winning a political election. They wanted Joe Biden to win in 2020. And wow. so that's the, that's the reason that they came out um, the way that they did. Look, you know, uh, the intelligence speaks for itself. Grand juries uh, take the actions based on the intelligence that is pr- an evidence that is provided to them. You know, at the end of the day, the yep. truth. And the video cut off there, but he's right. At the end of the day, the truth will come out. The truth is coming out. This is the start of the John Durham process. A lot of people are like worried that this is all he's going to get. Oh, just some small time crooks on the bottom level. That's not the point. That's not the point of any of this. And I keep reminding people, if you're going after a massive criminal organization, like if you're going to try to take down the mob or a cartel, if there's a RICO case, right? You don't just take out these small people at the bottom and that's it. And you don't do it as soon as you know that those people at the bottom have committed crimes and you can prove it. You wait so that all of the organization can be implicated. So all of the information can be gathered and so that the organization can be taken out at the top levels too. All right. If we were just wiping away like Igor Danchenko and Michael Sussman and Kevin Kleinsmith. Well, that doesn't do anything. Maybe it convinces a few people that the Trump Russia collusion thing really was a hoax. And it obviously provably is. But the entire point is when it goes all the way up to Obama and Clinton and Biden and Comey and Clapper and Brennan. You got to do all the underlying work to get up to those levels. You got to take out all the methods by which they protect and shield themselves from public scrutiny and accountability. The corruption goes very, very deep, and there's a lot of money and power behind it. It's not easy. It's a process. And I think we can all be thankful at this point that this process is becoming very public. And they are struggling and doing everything they can to make sure that people never understand it. And until it's all out there, people like Rachel Maddow will continue to sell out the United States of America in favor of defending these people and herself from being held accountable for their complicity in these crimes against America. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. 
It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!